Hello, this is Nathan Ray, and this is my roommate, Caleb. Hey, Caleb. As I've mentioned before, we are roommates. We used to go to church together. We're pretty good friends. Went to Vanguard together, went to school together. Yep. Known each other for, what, five years now? Has it been that long? It has been that long, yes. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Super glad to have you back. How's God been working in your life as of late? He's been teaching me to rely on him and his strength. I think there's a big difference between trying to put in a lot of effort to do things on my own and having a mentality that's like, okay, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. And maybe then feeling bad or sorry for myself when I don't do something the way I should, or I make a mistake. And I think what God's trying to lead me into is Instead, like consistently going to him and saying, well, okay, I have to do this, or there's this thing that needs to be done. I need you for this. Strengthen me, give me help, fill me, you know, and just trying to like live and think that way and and be more consistent when it comes to inviting him into everything. And And it really makes a big difference. I think sometimes we think otherwise, we think like, okay, you know, I'll have my Devo, but I think Devos are not enough devotions are not enough someone was asking me is like how much time is enough for devotion or to spend time with god and they say like well how much do you need god and i think that's a better answer it's like i find that my results my joy my happiness is completely different if i enter a situation trusting him and then just trying to stay distraction free i guess so yeah that's kind of how god's been leading me to think differently can you give a specific example as to how all of that has played out in your life? Yeah, I work at a, at a store right now. And at the store, they have like a challenge for associates. And whenever you go to the store, they ask you, hey, do you want to donate to such and such a thing, such and such a cause? So I wasn't really putting my all into it. And I wasn't really like asking every customer because it didn't really have any benefit for you as an employee. Right. I mean, you might get a gift card if you do it. But it's like for me, it's like, OK, whatever. And so that mentality of just like, what is the thing that's going to benefit me and really impacts your work ethic. But, you know, I think Pastor Sam was preaching about God's strength and him being enough like a couple weeks back. And since then, I've been kind of thinking about it. So I remember even just this week, like there was a day where I woke up and it was kind of like just trying to get through the day. And then there's the next day I woke up, I think a little early, had myself devotion and I was just not even a devotion I was just driving to work didn't really have time for one but I was like okay God today is yours like fill me and use me and it it makes a significant difference just in my attitude towards work I think I got more of the donations than any other employee and just even my joy throughout the day was different there's something like freeing about knowing that okay I can do it all because, because I'm relying on his strength, you know? And I think it's, it's a very practical thing. You know, I think people think about like, I can do all things through God's strength as like something that you should know, but it's more than that. It's something you should practice, which I guess is the difference now, which is the idea of like, I'm going to take time before I engage in things or even during to say, God, I trust you. God, fill me. And that makes a very big difference. It's almost like a trigger point for your mentality to change and for God to do whatever he does supernaturally to aid you, you know, and 
But I think what we think is like, oh, in the back of my head somewhere, I know I can do all things through Christ. That's very different from like saying, okay, I have this thing, God, I need strength for this, you know? Cool. So that almost ties into how God was working in my life lately. Last Saturday, I was at a wedding reception. One of my friends was getting remarried. He had initially eloped with his fiance in Hawaii because COVID restrictions wouldn't allow them to have a proper wedding. Now that we don't have to deal with those restrictions anymore, they were able to put on the wedding of their dreams. And while I wasn't able to attend the ceremony because I was attending another conference at the time, I was able to make it to the reception. And while I was at that reception, I had two very interesting encounters one of them being with the woman that I love and the other being with her former roommate who I consider my personal nemesis. You have nemesis? Yes, believe it or not, I have personal nemesis. I guess I can go with that first, especially since that encounter happened first. So this former roommate, she and I have had a very tumultuous history with each other. She is a leader of a homeless ministry that I used to be a part of. She made some decisions that I did not agree with and that I reacted quite poorly to, which resulted in me getting removed from the homeless ministry. And for the longest time, I was trying to pursue reconciliation with her. And usually for one reason or another, it all kept falling apart. It got to a point where... She didn't approve of uh, me wanting to be in relationship with her roommate. I remember her telling me quite clearly, Nathan, as long as you have feelings for this roommate of mine, I'm never going to be friends with you. And so she was sort of using that relationship as a bargaining chip in order to get me to do what she wanted. And I didn't think that was a healthy way to maintain a friendship. And when it got to a point where I'd been following her on Twitter for years, liked one of the tweets that she had put out, and then she blocked me. That is the point where I was just like, okay, you were impossible to deal with. You were never going to be pleased. Trying to pursue reconciliation with you is a waste of my time. And I'm just going to leave it at that. And so going into the wedding reception, I had the expectation that If I was going to be meeting her and interacting with her, those interactions would be fairly awkward. They'd be very hostile, mutually hostile. I was coming in with the perspective of, I hate this woman and I wish the worst on her. And I knew that was the wrong perspective to take. So I asked God, God, please give me wisdom and discernment. Please renew my mind in short order. And eventually when we got to have that conversation, She didn't seem to be holding anything against me. She seemed to be quite friendly, genuinely friendly, genuinely wanting to know what was going on in my life. And that's all well and good, except that for, I want to say, the last two years, we've kind of been at each other's throats. And I don't know, it's it's like, imagine if someone your own personal enemy comes to you and starts acting friendly towards you. Like, how would you feel? Uh, I don't know. It it depends on you, I guess. And whether or not you 
willing to forgive this person and move on. Because for me, I'd rather not have a bad relationship than have a good relationship. So yeah. I'm always happy to move on to a better relationship with people. And often that requires me. Because like, I'll, I'll say like, you know, when I was younger, you know, I had like a pretty serious temper and get into fights all the time. And, you know, so the reputation that I had, let's say among the kids at church, was like as this kid who's like violent and angry and whatever, right? And you were the pastor's kid. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know how much that matters when there's like 12 kids in the whole church. But over the years, I feel like I've changed. And most of the people who are new who know me are like, they're cool. But there are some people who know me from like way back in the day. And they're like still kind of, or at least they were mistrustful for me for a long time. You know, even after I started to like lead in the church and do different things, they're just like, they would not put the guard up and they would, you know, like be very kind of almost rude, but you know, you overcome evil with good, as they say, like over time, you just wear them down and they're like, they start to act differently towards you. And, and I prefer that than having like this horrible relationship with somebody and and, and feeling angry and vengeful about it is not the way that yeah so when this person and I started talking eventually I got to a point where I was like I want to trust you I want to forgive you I want to be in good relationship with you do you have to trust someone to forgive them I want to say yes I want to say yes if the act of forgiveness is to let go of the hurt in part then I suppose you don't have to trust another person. You don't have to even like them. However, if you want to be in relationship with that person, then I want to say that you do need to be at a point where you can trust them. And what I was trying to ask this person in particular was I just want to be able to unpack everything that we've gone through over the last two years and just acknowledge it. And if possible, just like figure out where we both went wrong, apologize when necessary, and then move on to a better relationship with each other. And I don't know if it's because she didn't feel like she had enough time because she said that she needed to quickly jet off to work. Maybe she didn't think that she was capable of doing such things but for whatever reason this woman that I know she just kind of backed out of it at yeah I want to say I think you might be operating under a false assumption which is that trust will build relationship but in fact the opposite is true relationship builds trust relationship builds influence with people a lot of times and I I can say this as somebody who's relatively straightforward especially in the past I'm trying to like, just say what you mean, mean what you say. Let's just put all our cards on the table. I understand that very much, but often it just doesn't work with people. Often people, like it's the small talk thing, right? Like a lot of people would rather kind of get to know you, feel comfortable around you, talk about things that are less important for a little while so they can emotionally feel the right way about you before they're willing to have a deeper and important conversation. Well, you, I get it love to just jump straight to the important stuff that doesn't work with a lot of people it works with some people but not everybody's the same a lot of people it's like they want to feel like they can be cool around you comfortable around you before 
they want to get into anything deep or heavy or important. And so for a lot of people, they want to have a relationship, not maybe one that's like super deep, but they want to have some level of relationship before they go into a place where they trust you. But if you try to short circuit that with somebody, especially somebody whose emotions first, not saying this girl is. She absolutely is. Yeah. Okay. So if it's somebody who, and you know, like when I was in a discipleship program, uh, core, we were learning this thing is called life languages, where it's like, it's one of those sort of, you take a test, it helps you discover who you are, stuff like that. And it had these categories for the type of thinker you are. And so some like myself were contemplators, which means you think your way into a situation first. And then the emotions are kind of something that you do after the fact, or you try to think of, about something. And then there's people who are emotions first, where they feel their way into a situation first before they think their way into it. And then there's another couple different types of categories. But I remember the contemplator one, because that's what I was, and the emotions one, because that's what the highest statistical average of people is. Most people are emotional, not most people, like 30% of people who took that test were like emotions first. And for those people, you just can't short circuit that process. You need to engage their emotions and their feelings first, and they need to feel connected and comfortable with you before they engage with any details or those types of information. And, and I think like the idea of, of trusting before you forgive, it's like for a lot of people, forgiveness is an emotional thing. For some people, forgiveness is not an emotional thing. It's, it's about facts. It's about you did this, I did that. And I am relinquishing you of responsibility or culpability for this or that. But that's not the case for a lot of people. It's like, I'm not ready to forgive you because I feel weird about you. You know what I mean? And for someone who is like that, they want to have a couple conversations where things aren't heavy and hard and difficult before they're willing to go there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's worth it to just like, have no pressure conversations, have enough of those so that the person can just feel like, okay, you know, and isn't constantly reminding me of, let's say my mistakes or his mistakes. And he's just like a chill guy to be with. Like, unfortunately, that's how a lot of people operate. But sorry, I feel like I interrupted you. No, you didn't. I just kind of supplemented things that I needed to hear. I think that the conversation could have gone a whole lot worse. I'm thankful that I didn't degenerate into screaming or cursing or flipping her the bird and in praying to God before the conversation, just asking him, okay, God, what's going to happen with this? Is there going to be any resolution between the two of us here? The answer I got was a very explicit no. Okay, so you didn't have your expectations wrapped up in the conversation? No, not really. That's good. I do remember, though, after the conversation was done, I prayed a very extensive thank you prayer to God. That's cool. But it was the most angry thank you prayer that you could possibly hear. I was just like, thank you, God. Oh, oh, thank you, God. I know you're sovereign. I know that you're in control of everything. But seriously, God, I want to punch a brick wall right now. Oh, at least you're going to him. Yeah, you pray some David prayers every now and then, you know, like, where are you, God? Why? That's some totally righteous stuff right there. Everybody goes to that. <laughs> so that was the first conversation that I had. The second conversation I had was with a woman that I loved. We haven't really spoken to each other in 21 months. 
throughout all this COVID hysteria. Well, who's counting? I am counting. (laughs) And I would say that during that conversation, there were two things that were highlighted to me. First of all, even though I haven't had as good of a relationship with her as I've wanted for the past couple of years, and even though I didn't really know how she felt about me at that time, obviously she felt safe enough to be willing to talk with me and with another friend who happened to be in our presence. But I remember just being delighted to just finally talk with her. And it gave me the idea that with God, no matter how far away, how distant we become from him, when we go to him and we start talking to him about anything that's going on in our lives, whether it's just praising him or just complaining about our lives or asking God, God, please help me to get on this bus on time because I need to use that bus in order to make it to a meeting in time. Those kinds of prayers, no matter what, he is still delighted to hear from us. He is still delighted to interact with us. And I think I understood and empathized with that through having this particular conversation. I think though, like the previous conversation, there are certain things that I could have done better. And in particular, if I were to go back and do the conversation all over again, I spent a lot of time just highlighting all the achievements of my life for the past year, because I wanted to be like, I'm in a really good position right now. Things are going really well in my life. And I didn't want to get too intimate with her. I didn't always know where the boundaries lay. And if I got to a point where I thought that I was just being too vulnerable, then I tried glossing it over as quickly as possible. But if I were to do it all over again, I think I I would want to draw a little more attention to her spiritual growth. Like ask her about it? Yeah, ask her, how is your spiritual growth? How is your prayer life with God? Is God speaking to you like audibly through dreams and visions? Because that's been something I've been praying for her to receive over this entire time and just make it less about me and a little bit more about her while trying not to cross any boundaries that would seem inappropriate. And I think all of this, it's what I want to lay the foundation for the episode's topic that is of God's sovereign love, what it means for him and what it means for us to be able to emulate him Mm -hmm. in that. Right. When you say sovereign, why sovereign and not just God's love? Is there a difference? I don't know. I just never heard. I don't think I've heard anyone say sovereign love before. So I thought you had like a thing about that word choice, but maybe not. So I think why that word choice comes to mind is that You know the song Reckless Love by Corey Ashbury? Yes. Absolutely hate that song. It's one of my most hated songs of all time. I love this song. You and I have different tastes. But I think part of the reason why I hate that song is because I remember it being sung by groups of people who seem to be taking the perspective of, oh, no matter what we do in life, no matter how far we're led astray, we can always go back to God and he'll always love us because that's who he is. 
because his love is reckless. It knows no boundaries. That's interesting. Well, that's the perspective that I took and what I was able to observe from other people who were worshiping. And later on in life, when it came time to try and rely on those people for things like forgiveness and reconciliation, I didn't always see that kind of love emanating from them. Later on, I want to say last year, I think, I came across this metal-based cover of the song okay. titled Sovereign Love. The same song? The same song, same basic lyrics, but instead of saying, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It was something along the lines of, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, sovereign love of God. Oh, like you know, an actual, like, metal, hard rock. Yes. Okay. Actual metal. <laughs> I thought you, okay. I thought it was a cover that was made of metal, like a CD cover. No, no, not at all. That would be very interesting to listen to. And that sort of reshaped my view of the song, of the idea of this is something I can still get behind. Yeah, well, interesting thing for me is when I hear that song, Reckless Love of God, I didn't think of it in reckless in the sense of like reckless on our behalf. Like I always thought about it as reckless in the sense that like reckless to himself in the sense that he sacrificed and suffered so much to extend this love towards us and like reckless in the willingness to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I always felt like that's kind of true when it comes to love. Love is always a risk. And like he loves unlovable people. And that's kind of what makes God special and amazing, right? Is not that he loves people who are lovable or worthy of love, love, but he loves people who are essentially like horrible a decent amount of the time. Yes. And it's like, I thought like, that's the reckless thing. And so on that level, it's like, okay, I kind of like, I vibe with that, you know? But then again, I'm kind of been in one church my whole life, right? So I've always felt very much a part of things and loved and whatever. Even, and I've definitely been forgiven. Even when people thought you were a jerk, you were loved. I was a jerk. And yeah, like there's a lot of people who didn't write me off. You know, there's some people, there's always some people. My mom would always say, not everybody in the church has changed, you know? So, and I'm a pastor's kid. So from a very young age, I know that just because people are in a church doesn't make them different from anybody. Like it's a personal thing, right? There are people who are very connected to God and that shows in their life. And then there's a lot of people who are connected to, they go to church and they check their boxes and they feel better about themselves. And generally those people are worse than unbelievers because, you know, they feel a sense of self-satisfaction without any of the surrender necessary, actually being a real disciple of Jesus. You know what I mean? And those people are always in every church, you know? But also in every church, there's a, well, maybe not every church, but in most churches, there's always some real ones, you know? And it's like, well, you know, those are the people that you want to be building relationships and relying on, and not just anybody. So I think like I've kind of been insulated from being hurt by other people because there's always been a core of people in the church who like really care about me, you know? And I haven't really had that same luxury. That's not true. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe not in that church. Maybe not in that particular group of Christians. No, but I suppose within the church that we both were part of hybrid 
the church that I'm currently going to, Summit, those were really good churches. And even I was visiting Hybrid yesterday. I was still not 100% on board with everything, like the way that it was being presented. But at the same time, when it came time to just tell people, I am no longer considering myself a member. This is what I consider to be my last visit. The response was very positive and encouraging. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm glad that I am not leaving this place on completely bad terms. I'm glad that I have that security net where if I really wanted to, and if the summit for some reason crashes and burns and I have nowhere else to go to, hopefully it doesn't happen. But if that ever would happen, at the very least, I can always go back to hybrid and it will always be a safety net. And I'll always have people like you and Pastor Sam and people like Salam, Nati, Christine, those people I can just continue being in fellowship with. Yeah. Well, it's what it's supposed to be, right? Yeah. So, sovereign love. Yeah, sovereign love. How do you think you've tried to model that sovereign love in your life to other people? Has it always worked out? Definitely not. Where in your life would you say that you've seen the best results in terms of modeling that love to other people? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's kind of hazy, like when I really gave my life to Christ, because I think a couple of times when I was a kid, but then there was like, when I was 18, I was really pursuing Jesus and kind of my whole life transformed around the concept of Christ loving me. You know what I mean? I think I might've told it the last time I was on the podcast, but so just like from the very jump, the reason I was like motivated to be a part of the church and motivated to spend more and more of my time praying and reading my Bible and worshiping essentially my faith was because it kind of clicked for me that he loved me. Like there's this concept called omnipresence, which is God is everywhere, aware of all things at all times. And if you start to think about the scale that God exists on, just the sheer scale, the sheer size of the universe that we inhabit, and all of the planets and the trillions and trillions of galaxies that are out there. And I found it like really incredible that he really like took the time to notice or even care about like me. And like, that's a lot of luck, you know, that was something that was really blowing my mind at the time. And, and I was just like, who knows how many other sentient worlds are out there. I always wonder like, if we go to heaven, if it'll be full of aliens, you know, I, mean? I hope so. <laughs> Because I'm like, we can't be the only thing. Like, this massive universe, and we're the only, like, project God's got. That sounds ridiculous to me. But so he's got all this stuff going on. But he cares enough to come and die for me. And, and so that was, like, the big thing that, like, clued me in. It's like, wow, God really loves me a whole lot, you know? And so the one thing about emulating God's love and sort of, like, displaying it, living it out is that like you said, like, you know, have you ever not done it? (laughs) Well, I'm a firm believer that it is not something you can manufacture. You can't muster up the love of God in yourself. Any attempt to try that is failure. Like always, I cannot do the things that Jesus asks of me, especially like say in the, you know, Matthew 5, like the Sermon on the Mount, like that stuff is just straight up 
possible. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, you know, turn the other cheek. All the things that he asks are like very difficult things to do, right? And the secret is that you don't do them. And if you try to just do them yourself, I mean, you're going to find that they are very, 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 very difficult to do. It's much more difficult to forgive somebody than it is to like beat them up or beat them in an argument or something like that. You know, people always act like confronting people is difficult. Maybe if you're like a very, very conflict diverse person, sure, but it's much more difficult to release hatred towards somebody than to actually beat somebody in some kind of confrontation. I have this personal theory running in my head that part of the reason why some people will prefer feeling hatred against others, even when it would make their lives significantly easier to let go of that hatred, is because if they were to forgive and if they were to pursue reconciliation, then that sort of opens up the door for those other people to come in and potentially hurt them again. Yeah, possibly. And I think that's what we were talking about earlier, like love is a risk, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like in Corinthians 13, you know, the love chapter. At the end of it, where he's like, love is this, love is that, patient, kind, gentle. At the end of it, last couple things love is, is hopes all things, believes all things, trusts in all things. Love never fails. So that last bit is about like love being this thing that chooses to hope again, chooses to trust again, chooses to believe again in somebody, right? And if you don't have that, you don't have love. But about forgiveness, I also think like when you're angry at somebody, it's also like holding on to anger is also holding on to like a feeling of righteousness. Yeah. Right? Like I'm right, they're wrong, blah, blah, blah. To forgive somebody is to choose to view yourself with more humility and to view them with more compassion and like try to understand them. It's just a difficult thing. Like people always, you know, I did youth for a long time. And I remember this one kid, he was like trying to have a conversation with his friend about his spiritual life and just the way he was living. He came at his friend kind of pretty hard and he was like, why are you doing this? You know, that's not who you are. You know, why, why are you doing this stuff? Right. And his friend was just like, obviously felt attacked and, and was like, you know, screw you. What, who the hell are you to tell me these things? Blah, blah, blah. And he came to me and he's like, man, this guy, I can't believe it. You know, I was trying to open up to him and he, you know, he slammed the door in my face. He's, you know, he's pretty angry about the situation. And I told him, apologize. <laughs> At first he was like, what? And I was like, okay, apologize one, because it'll repair your relationship and it costs you nothing. I'm like, you'll be surprised at how quickly it can repair a relationship. Now, these people were like real friends, like real close. Obviously, you can't just apologize to someone who hates your guts. It's not going to always work. But I told him that, and I told him, you're saying things that are right to this kid, but the way you're saying them is very accusatory and all of that. So you have to see his perspective, right? You have to look at the way this kid is seeing. As far as he can tell, you're just attacking him out of nowhere. If you just rephrase what you said and say, hey, man, listen, I can see a lot of good in you. I can see that you really care about the right thing. And so I'm kind of worried when I see this and that, it makes me worry about you this or whatever, right? Like I say, if you frame it in that way, where it's not, why are you doing the wrong thing and accusatory and just say, hey man, there's so much more in you. I'm like, trust me, he's going to respond better. So the kid, at the end of the conversation, he's still kind of like, okay, whatever. But he tries it, he goes and he talks to his friend and that friend is at church on Sunday. And they're hanging out together and they're happy and smiling and their relationship is doing well. 
And it's like, if you want to be able to repair a relationship or forgive, you have to be able to see things in their perspective and have sympathy for them. You have to be able to feel the way they feel and realize that on some level, what they're doing makes sense to them. Yeah. Like from your perspective, it never makes sense because you can't see the motivations. You can't see the things that led them to this place. But if you're willing to see their perspective and demonstrate that to them, the forgiveness can take. But it requires you to kill a lot of the self-righteousness in yourself, the I did the right thing and this person wronged me. Like that sense of, I don't know what the word is, but like maybe entitlement that says I need to be treated well. And I think the love of God, the love of Jesus kind of demonstrated to us how we should live, which is he didn't come here saying I needed to be treated well. He came and was born in a, I guess, a barn or whatever. He grew up in a very small town as the son of a tradesman. He was disrespected by his hometown when he started preaching. He was at every turn disrespected and, and challenged by the religious leaders of the day. And ultimately, he was imprisoned, beaten, whipped, spat on, teased, crucified, and killed. And he did all of that willing. You know, that's the one thing that always comes to me when we talk about the love of God. You know, they were teasing him. They're like, oh, if you're the son of God, why don't you come down from that cross if you're such a big shot? And there's this scene where one of his disciples is trying to defend him when they're trying to take him. And he takes out a sword and cuts off somebody's ear. And Jesus stops him, heals the dude's ear, which to me is always amazing. So he's willing to heal the guy who's here to kill him. Like that is love. But more than that, he turns to his disciple and says, hey, are you trying to defend me? Like, listen, if I ask the father, he's willing to send me a legion of angels to protect me. They wouldn't be able to take me. Kind of like I'm willingly giving my life up. And then I did some research and I looked it up and a legion is 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers. And I remember this story in the Old Testament about how this city in Jerusalem was surrounded by this massive army. I think like it says like close to 100,000 men or something like that, like 180,000, 118,000 men. And one angel wiped them all out. And so Jesus is saying like, I have a lot of power to free myself but I'm not doing that. He chose to go through all of the insult, all the injury, and he didn't expect himself to be honored or glorified as the God of heaven should. And I'm like, that's a demonstration to us of what our love should be like. But as you said, and as I said earlier, it's not something you can manufacture. It's very difficult to do. There's a verse that I've been meditating on a lot, which has a lot to do with also the strength stuff I was talking about. You have to go to him to receive this. It says the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. It's like, that's how it happens. It's not something that you say, I'm going to be loving today. No, no, that's not how it happens. You don't decide to be a better human and suddenly snap your fingers and you're a better human. There's no five-step plan. There's no book you can read on how to be more loving. It's something supernatural. It is a spiritual transaction that happens because you receive love from God and then you give love. Like I've been thinking about the idea of being a vessel, a cup. It's like you have to first be filled before you can pour out. Yeah. Right? And it's like that only happens in the presence of God. David in the Bible was able to forgive like this crazy, literally crazy king who was trying to kill him and was chasing him around for like 10 years. And the only reason he was able to do that was because David also happened to be one of the most consistent worshipers that we know of in scripture. 
He's responsible for like a good chunk of the Psalms. And what we know about him is that the reason he was even like brought into Saul's presence was because they knew that he was skilled with the musicians and he would literally worship and Saul's madness would go down a little bit, right? And so that's who David was. He was always in the presence of God, always receiving love from God, always in the presence. And then when push came to shove, he was able to do some things that were utterly selfless, you know? Well, of course, there are times where he failed and got too big for his britches and did really, truly horrible things. So you can't manufacture it. You have to receive it. You have to receive it from God. And if you're not doing that, I can guarantee that you're not going to be loving the way he is. You can try to pretend, you know, there's a lot of Christians who try to do that. They try to be pleasant and not swear and whatever. But when you really push comes to shove, they're not there for you. It's a mask. And a lot of the world has seen that fake mask, that fake love, and discredited and discounted our faith because it's not the love of God that comes from God. It's just like this thin veneer of civility that you can crack if you really push, you know? Yeah. So I kind of want to respond to that by sharing something that uh, happened in my life a couple months ago. There was a friend of mine who lives in Scotland. He's someone I've known for about eight years. There was a time when we weren't really in each other's lives, not because of any bad blood between us, but just because we just lost touch. Three years ago, after I joined social media, I reconnected with him and gradually realized that he not only was he hugely in favor of progressive politics, but he was in some ways embodying the worst aspects of it. He wasn't just anti-fascist. He was calling for violence against fascists. He was calling for people to sign petitions so that parliament could debate whether or not it was a good thing to pass voter ID laws, which is a similar debate that's been happening in the States as of late. He was talking about how much he hated billionaires. He was talking about how, you know, we need to support trans identity and how much JK Rowling is a terrible person, those kinds of things. And I was seeing someone who I genuinely love, I guess, turn out to be someone that I wouldn't particularly like. And there were the times when he would put out something that I didn't agree with. I wrote comments explaining my position, explaining why I didn't agree with them. Sometimes the arguments that I put forward, they weren't good in the sense that they weren't really well-structured. Some of them are things that I would still stand by. But regardless, I kind of feel like I just heightened the divide between him and I. And so anyways, uh, a couple of months ago, when it was his birthday, I sent him this birthday message explaining how I was feeling about him how I felt like he was someone who was saying that he was a Christian, but he wasn't really living a Christian life. And yet, in spite of everything that I found troubling, I still cared about him. I still loved him. Mm -hmm. If he were to ever come to Canada, I would try to arrange for him to stay somewhere, whether it's our place or maybe a, a friend's place. And when I checked my messages the next morning, his response to me was essentially, you are an effing idiot. You are 
extremely disingenuous and I refuse to respond to anything that you are saying because you're not acting in good faith. And then he blocked me. And just reviewing that situation, I've thought to myself, okay, it probably wasn't a good idea to send this kind of message to him on his birthday. Yes. But beyond that, I know that I was writing from a sincere place in my heart. I kind of feel validated for, for everything that I said. There is a part of me that wants to continue being in relationship with him because I still see the good in him. I still want to see him redeemed. I want to see him in heaven. But at the same time, it also feels like I've been interacting with a member of a cult for the last three years. And I don't know, like, is is the problem me? Is the problem him? Are there just people out there in the world who, even if they're shown God's sovereign love or just love in general, their instinctual response is what you're saying, how you're treating me isn't love. And therefore I'm going to shoot you down. Well, I mean, I'd say all of that is true. I'd say he definitely bears some responsibility for how things turned out. And so does he also, yes, just because you love somebody or show them love, treat them lovingly, doesn't mean they're going to respond in turn. That's the risk of love. Right? I mean, Jesus loved Judas and Judas betrayed him, right? But Jesus chose to love Judas, right? He picked that guy. Yeah. And that's real love. I think love is defined by the bad time. That's when you really know love. That's what the Bible says. It's like Christ demonstrated his love for us in this that he died for us while we were still sinners. Like the thing that defines the love of God is him choosing to love unlovable people. That's the definition of what it means to love, right? And, you know, there's lots of places where it says, like, you know, an evil person is going to love people who love them. Like, you have zero credit in the eyes of God. Jesus said this. You have zero credit in his eyes if you only love people who love you, right? Even evil men do that. Hitler had a girlfriend and a dog that he loved, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, name any horrible person. You know what I mean? Like you can name freaking Stalin, whatever. Like they had an inner circle of people that were their friends and whatever. And you know, like that's not what people think. Like, oh, I love my family. I'm a good person. It's like, no, you don't. Do psychopaths still love people? They do. Well, I don't know about psychopaths because I feel like they've got like a weird thing going on. I don't quite understand it. But yeah, like that's not the thing that makes you a loving person. The loving person is the person who can love people that don't love them, right? That's the whole love your enemies thing right? It's like when somebody asks Jesus, Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is the second greatest commandment in the whole Bible. And somebody asks him, who's my neighbor? His response isn't, oh, you know, nice, lovely people in your life. His response is, oh, you know, that group, that racial group that you guys have beef with right now, that, love that person, you know? The Samaritans and the Jews had some serious beef and some serious bad history. And Jesus was like, the Samaritan was the nice guy in the story and the Jewish leadership were the bad guys in that story. And he asked the person who was loving and clearly was a Samaritan. And he says, be like that guy, do as he does. So if we want to seriously contend with what the Bible talks about love, we have to really challenge ourselves because it's very much not what the world talks about. love, Right. So I think like, When it comes to loving people, it's not about expressing what you feel all the time. It's about demonstrating love to them. And there's timing on both.
things. And so, yeah, like a message saying like, hey, you know, I don't think you're living out your Christian life on somebody's birthday is bad timing. And I totally understand that feeling it was disingenuous. You know, love is a selfless thing. People in general are very, very good at subconsciously picking up real love. And people can smell the, the fakeness, if there is any, you know. We can't pretend. That's why I say you can't manufacture. You can't pretend. It can't be something that, like, you say. It's not a politically correct thing. You can't say the right words and make someone feel you love them. No. Like, in everything you do, your body language, your voice, your choice of words, the decisions you make, all of that communicates. And people are very good at telling whether or not there's some genuine love and concern for them. And like I always say, it's like, it's not so much about like, hey, this is a wisely constructed sentence. I don't think there is a wisely constructed sentence that you could say. It's about motives. It's about why are you doing what you're doing? It's like, why am I saying this is way more important than what am I saying? If your motives are pure, then from that, you know, what the Bible says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, and from it flow the issues of life. If your heart is in the right place, the right things will come out because that's where your heart speaks. So to me, it's like, it's not so much about what do I say that's going to convince this person of what I want from them? It's much more about like, what do I feel? And you were talking about how you had to pray about your motive and pray about like, Lord, help me in this. when you were having that conversation with that person. But that's where the, the real progress happens is in those moments of, with God, where he transforms your heart. Yeah. You can read books about how to have productive and difficult conversations. I have. There's a great book called How to Have Difficult Conversations, which has a lot of really good principles about how to do these things. But love is something a little bit beyond having difficult conversations. It's something that is very powerful, very tangible, and very rare in our world. And so whenever it genuinely shows up, it is transformative. You know, I think the thing that transforms us made us put our faith in Jesus is that's the way forward is we continually allow ourselves to be transformed by the love by contemplating thinking about it reading about it praying receiving it and then if you're filled it's not hard it's not difficult it's not something you need strategy for if you're filled with the love of God then you don't have to try to be loving it's just hard because that's what's inside you but if you're filled with something else in this world is very good at trying to get your attention and fill you with something else. That's what comes up. You spend your day on, like, say, Twitter, and, and that self-serving room full of screaming people, and you're going to feel a little bit more angry, a little bit more entitled to your opinion, and a little bit more combative going out of that thing. That fills you. Like, it's inevitable. People try to say, like, oh, no, that's not the case. I'm either special or different. You're not, you know? But if you meditate on the scripture, you meditate on the love of God, you will be more loving. Like I can guarantee that without, like I can guarantee that 100% because that's the story of my life, you know? And that's how powerful his love is, is that it is transformative. But I think there's many things that try to steal our focus on the love of God. And because of that, we're not what we purport to be or what we should be. We're meant to be. Yeah. But the thing about humans is we still try to be good. You know, we still try to come across as like, we're the good guys. We just suck at it. Yeah. Self-righteousness is filthy rags. You know, it really is. And Jesus in the Bible talks about putting on the robe of righteousness that God gives you. So it's like, let go of your filthy rags 
and receive his righteousness. It's like you have to let go of your self-righteousness to actually be righteous. That's why forgiveness is so hard. That's why loving people is so difficult is because you have to give up your self-righteousness, your entitlement, your feelings of being wronged by people, your hangups and whatever. And you have to give up being the good guy so that God can actually make you good. You know, most relationships, most arguments, I feel like get hung up on the fact that people are still trying to somehow be the good guy. You know what I mean? Like, say I did something horrible to you, but still... I'm trying to like explain to you why it's justified somehow. It's like, I wouldn't, well, you know, yeah, me, like <laughs> if you ever deal with kids, it's like you talk to a kid, it's like, why'd you punch him in the face? Oh, you know, I only punched him in the face because he poked me and you can run down that. Why'd you poke him? I only poked him because he took my cookie. Why'd you take his cookie? I don't know. I wanted it. And, and, you know, like the kid is like acting like they did absolutely nothing wrong. And they're completely justified in their actions because of the actions of somebody else. We never graduate from that. You know, we, we do that all the way through our marriages, our relationships, all through the course of things. We want to hold on to we're the good guy, even though we punch somebody in the face. If you want real righteousness, you have to be willing. Repentance is very necessary. I messed up. God, I need your righteousness. And that level of humility, it bleeds into your conversations with people. It bleeds into everything else. I guess I want to close this off by highlighting two more things that happened to me this week. First of all, my mom sent me a video called, this is why you'll never marry the perfect person, something like that put out by a YouTube channel called the school of life. Is the conceit of the video that the perfect person doesn't exist. Not just that the perfect person doesn't exist, but we kind of need to reckon with the fact that we're all flawed And part of the point of marriage is to admit to another person that we are flawed and that Mm -hmm. we need them and to just be vulnerable with them. And it made me think about the conversation I had with the woman I loved and how I didn't want to get to that point of vulnerability, that point of saying, I actually kind of need you, partly because I didn't know if that would cross a boundary, but also partly because after spending so long coming across as a failure in my eyes to her, I just wanted to portray myself as more of a success. As someone who had $10,000 in savings, who was able to pay off their first year of university without taking on student loan debt, was able to get their driver's license, all of these incredible accomplishments, to me, at least they're incredible accomplishments, But I guess not really going into things like some of the more disappointing lows of getting kicked out of an animation server earlier this year or last year when I was briefly employed by a homeless shelter and then got fired from that place after a day of working there and got to a point where I was just like so depressed that I wanted to kill myself. Those points of vulnerability well, maybe there's a little wisdom in not leading with that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You, you want to be open and honest, but you don't really want to be too open. Yeah, you do want to be open and honest and vulnerable, but there's also the wisdom of being as open as the person can take right now. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. As we've learned from the other friend of mine who I sent that message to about, oh, hey, this is how I feel about you. Yeah. So that's the first thing that I wanted to highlight and connect that idea of how when we say like to another person, we need you, there's also 
a part of us that is saying to God, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, I also need you. And that's how we experience the love of God. That's how we can go to him and how he delights in us and how we can receive that delight from him. It's just by going to him and in some way just saying like, I need you, whether it's because I want to praise you or because I need you to do something for me or I just want to be with you. And I think that's something I am going to be implementing in my own life, not just with the way that I interact with other people, but like specifically in the way that I interact with God and just like being raw and emotional with him. And this is coming from someone who tries not to be that emotional of a person. Yeah. But the second thing that I kind of want to finish out on yesterday, as I was going in between church services, I went to like three church services yesterday. It was a a very packed day. But anyways, in between going to church services, I went to visit this pro-lockdown protest. I want to describe it as that. You're just going to all the protests now. (laughs) I guess, yeah. So this was comprised of people who are unhappy about the recent lifting of restrictions here in Alberta who want the restrictions to continue for a period of time. I went to this protest specifically to mock the people who were there. I took a few pictures of the signs so that I could post them later on social media and just like say, hey, this is kind of stupid. And while I was there, I actually got involved in a conversation with one of the protesters. It was a very long and civil conversation. I think we we talked for like 90 minutes, which for someone an introvert like myself talking with a stranger like that is just, it's kind of insane to me, but I was able to understand where she was coming from based on the conversation we were having. And halfway through, she informed me that because of the conversation that I was having with her, her faith in people like me was restored because it was clear that even though we weren't entirely on the same page about restrictions, I still cared about people. I still didn't want people to die. I was still doing what I could to make sure that certain people in my life are safe. And it's weird because like I came to this event not expecting that kind of moment to happen. Mm -hmm. Unlike the wedding reception, I didn't even pray to God saying, hey, God, please make me this way. Yeah, because you went there with the wrong motives. I went there with the wrong motives. (laughs) Of course you didn't pray. God, help me walk these people. And yet for some reason, and maybe it's, it's because it was a Sunday and I'd already gone to church and I'd already had my filling of the spirit, but I was able to have a good productive conversation with this woman. And I think I found that a lot more rewarding than just acting scornful to the people around me. Yeah. That sounds cool. man. I, I think generally people have good reasons for what they're doing. Well, for what they're feeling. Sometimes you don't always see them as... You, you know, you, you definitely don't see them. Like, almost guaranteed, you're not going to see them without effort. But, like, I think it's an assumption you have to make. It's like, people are understandable. You know, like, you have conversations with somebody who's just been, like, done dirty by somebody, and they're complaining. And there's this thing that people say that irritates me, which is, I just don't understand how somebody could do something. Um, I'm always like, well, that's why you have a problem with that person. 
Yeah, it's like if you can't understand somebody, you can't have any positive experiences. Like you need to be able to understand them. And saying that you do not have the capacity to understand somebody is to me almost always a lie. It's usually that you're too lazy or too enjoying the, the complaining too much to actually do it. It's like if you took a second to just be like, okay, hey man, what's going on? Like why, like, why are you doing what you're doing here? People generally have like a legitimate reason. Like you're hating that song had to do with your personal experience. You probably wouldn't hate that song in a different context, you know? Yeah, I, for all I know, I might just love it like the rest of Christianity. Yeah. Right. And so, but you know, what people do is like, oh, this movie sucks. And people are like, no, this movie's awesome. And then they just argue about that. But generally, like the way, reason you like something or reason you did something is a little more complicated than just the merits of whatever that thing is. It's like you have your history that you bring to it. Right. Uh, we watched uh, recently, we watched Gone with the Wing together. Yes. <laughs> and you and I had different reactions to it. I was really disturbed by the endorsement of racism that that movie had. And I was disturbed too, but I think... Not to the same degree. Not to the same degree. But I'm, I'm like, you know what, our experiences are different. Like I'm, I'm a Black dude. So for me, that stuff is more real. And, you know, you're not a racist in any terms, but it's like, you don't have the history I have. You don't have the perspective I have. And so my reaction being different is, is actually makes sense, you know? And I couldn't get over that stuff. I mean, well-made movie... Right? Great cinematography. Good acting. Good acting, good, good music. Good art direction. Really masterfully done, but it's like the South good, the North bad, and Black people are happy about their slavery. I'm like, yeah, I don't know about all that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I was just really disturbed by it. I was like, how can American people enjoy something that makes the idea of a united America seem like a bad thing, you know? And, you know, I was really hung up on that. And, but it's like, you know, generally there's a reason. And if we take time to understand people and see where they're coming from, we'll see that what they did might not have been the good thing or the right thing, but it made sense. Yeah. Like there's a world in which this makes sense. Yeah. I'm actually reading a biography of Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, who is someone I don't particularly like. And yet in reading the book and like the book doesn't really portray him as a positive person, but for some reason in reading that book and understanding all the various decisions that he made throughout his time as CEO of Amazon, I can almost respect him a little bit more. I mean, you gotta be able to respect him. He's got something that's amazing. Yeah. He's done plenty of stuff that's amazing. Even though it's ruined other people's lives in the process, you've got to admit that, like... Do you, like... I guess you're not done the book, but... Not yet, no. Do you think that he knowingly made decisions that would crush other people? Yes, he did. And he was like, I'm cool with that? Yes, he did. It's stated very explicitly in the book that his goal as a leader of the company was to encourage his leadership to act in a way where they would try to get their competitors put out of business. And so that part about him still kind of disturbs me. But at the same time, there's this weird aspect of humility about him. There's this desire for innovation, this desire to make the world a better place and to keep customers happy. And like all of those things I think are very good. I think while reading the book, I think I've come to understand that 
Jeff Bezos is a lot more visionary than what I had time to think about. But at the same time, just because you're a visionary doesn't necessarily mean that you'll always be a good person. Yeah. And I think the internal battle that's happening within me as I'm reading the book is here's a man with some very admirable qualities who I still can't completely agree with, who I think like he's done a lot of good for humanity and a lot of bad for humanity. Mm -hmm. He's probably not a Christian. I don't believe he is. But at the same time, I wonder what life would have been like for him and for the rest of the world if he was a Christian and if he had chosen to live his life, operate his business on Christian values. And I think that for better or worse, we can take some of the lessons that he was able to learn and impart them in our own lives as Christians and as business leaders. We're probably not going to be able to ever take down Amazon unless it goes through like, I think there are some talks about government kind of breaking up the company a little bit so that they're not having such a monopoly on certain things. Okay. But at, at the same time, going back to the original thought, just being willing to take those lessons, impart them in our own businesses as Christians and to yeah. live out a better life. Yeah, but also just even understanding the parts that we don't respect or we think are bad, right? Yeah. And like being able to understand why people do that stuff. Because I think another part of being able to truly love people is to be able to empathize with them. Like, I feel like the more reprehensible and evil person that you can empathize with, that expands your ability to love somebody. Yeah. Your circle of love is bigger if you can empathize with more and more people. It's like if you can understand them. It's happening with Jeff Bezos. Yeah, but I think that's like something you have to kind of work at and think of. Something that has to be like a priority to do is like, you know, you know, like people who complain about homeless people and stuff like that. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, because I've been doing this thing where it's like, hey, you know, at work, do you want to donate $2 to help end youth homelessness in Canada? And, you know, there's very different responses. Some people are like, yeah, sure, whatever. Some people are like, you know, I give money somewhere else. And some people are like, oh, these homeless people, they need to get a job, screw them. You know, and they get angry. <laughs> and it's like, I think probably it's because they don't know anybody on the street. Like I know some people who I grew up with were on the street and it is a lot more complicated than a lot of people make it out to be. And also it's like, they're real people. And there's a reason they're on the street, right? And, and if you're in their situation, you understand. So you can't help people you don't understand or you don't try to understand, you don't empathize with. It's very important. And like in relationships, it's super important. If you can't understand your wife, your girlfriend, your friend is doing what they're doing, you can't repair that. You can't make things better. You can't just suggest be better. It's not going to work. You have to understand where they're coming from. It's very important. And if you look at the whole political discourse, you know, there's a lot of people who aren't spending any time at all to try to understand the other's perspective which is very important. Even if you want to defeat someone's argument, you have to truly understand their argument. There's not a lot of that going on. It's just like your argument's bad, you're stupid, you're wrong. And also you're evil. I was listening to some attack ads against Kenny on the radio. And it's just like, this <laughs> is ridiculous. This is like playground bullying kind of vibes. It's like two people talking to each other. Oh, did you know that Kenny did this? Oh yeah, and he's so bad. And it's not just him, but also people, O'Toole is, you know, whatever. And I was like, what is this nonsense? Like, is, how is this allowed? But it's like, you have to understand. It's like, if you want to really win, 
in a political thing. You can rally your base. You have to do that. But also, you want to steal some people from the other side. You're not stealing anybody from the other side if you're, like, insulting them all the damn time. You know what I mean? You have to be like, I understand this is what you see, but here's how what we offer is actually better instead of, like, oh, you guys are stupid liberals or you guys are stupid conservatives. It's like, ah. It, it, it really irritates me because liberals and conservatives have a real place. And if they can sort of like temper each other's perspectives, they can make a better option. But right now, people don't really try to understand each other. They just try to like figure out why each other's ideas are unreasonable. It's like, no, that's, that's actually not true. Pick any debate, abortion, gay rights, whatever. They're like, the person that's making a decision has some reasons. And to them, they make sense in their worldview, their personal experience, whatever. And it's like understanding how it might make sense to a person makes you a lot more able, even if what you think they're doing is wrong, to combat it, you know? Because you can spend a lot of time arguing against, say, racism or something, right? You can you spend a lot of time trying to fight against what you think the problem is and never win because that's not actually where the real problem lies, it's like, if you feel uncomfortable about something, like deep down, and that's the reason why you're opposing some idea or that idea, if you just try to fight somebody on that idea, at the level of that idea, you're not going to change their mind because the real concern is over here. You know what I mean? It's like, it takes a level of empathy. What is your perspective? What is your worldview? What do you actually believe about the world? You know, I remember having a conversation with a lady back in my U of A days about her. She talked about she used to be a Christian but that she had a friend who was gay and that because of that, she kind of left the faith. And at the time I said, like, I don't know if you ever really were a Christian because to be a Christian means that your whole morality is not up to you. That's like a big part of what it means to be a Christian. It's like, if you believe in God, you believe he created you, then you believe that good and evil is what he says it is and not what you say it is. So the fact that you have a problem with one of the rules means you haven't accepted the whole premise of morality that Christianity offers, right? And so she's trying to say, why do you hate gay people? <laughs> I think how the conversation starts. You're a Christian, right? Yeah. Okay, so you hate gay people. No. Where did you get that from, right? She said, well, Christian people hate gay people. No, actually, the Bible says love everybody. And then she's trying to attack me on the level of hatred. It's like, that's not where I disagree. My disagreement isn't on the level of like, I don't like these types of people. My disagreement is way more like it has to do with the fundamental nature of morality. Is it something I make up for myself or is it something that God makes? So you can try to have a conversation on the peripheral, on the edge, on the little pointy tip of the iceberg, or you can try to have the conversation where the real difference lies. And it's like, we have a different philosophy of evil, a different philosophy of good. And it's like, that's where the actual separation lies, you know? Anyway, enough said about that. But I think that's where true empathy comes from. It's like, you have to talk to somebody and understand how do they construct good and evil in their minds before you get to like, you're wrong about this, you're right about that, you know? And that effort of trying to understand the fundamental assumptions that they're working on makes it a lot more fruitful because you know what is ride or die with them, what's a hill they're willing to die on and what's not important to them because of what they really believe about what's fundamental to life, right? Yes. And if you understand somebody, you can still cooperate with them, work with them, even though you disagree on some things. If you don't understand somebody, those things, you're going to constantly run into them and be at odds with them. You never know why. 
and, and then you won't be able to work with somebody you might otherwise be able to. Understanding people is really important. And I think it's part of love. It's like the patience to understand the person that you might enjoy. Because I think a lot of people just enjoy the presence of somebody. They don't really love them. So people aren't always pleasant to be with. When you really love somebody, you're able to work through the times they are unpleasant. When you don't, you're just like, oh, this person's pretty. They laugh at my jokes. They make me feel good. It's not love. That's something that's very fluid. They're not always going to be that way. They're not always going to have their hair done. They're not always going to agree with you. And they're not always going to laugh at your jokes. Yeah. And I think tying this back to what I was speaking about earlier in terms of what happened at the wedding reception, I feel like that is the kind of love that I was able to have for the woman that I do love because for the past 21 months, she's basically ignored me. She's been difficult. I'll put it that way, but I'm still willing to work with her for her roommate. I kind of feel like I need to develop more of that kind of love, not in the sense of, Oh, you're pretty, you're funny, but in the sense of even if I think you're annoying and I don't like you and I want to curse at you, I still need to be willing to work in order to be functional with you and not just like pleasantly functional, but like actually I need to care about you and hopefully I'll get another opportunity like that. I don't think that this is the only time that I had to make a good first impression. I don't know when that next opportunity will be. But I don't think this story is over. And I'm interested in seeing where the story goes next. Yeah. Yeah. And anyways, I think we're going long enough. It's really nice to be able to speak to you in person and not have to do it with our computers in two separate rooms. Unlike last time, we can hug each other and not have to worry about getting sick. Yeah, a lot of people have been able to do that for a while now. Yeah. Anyways, see you guys. This has been Because We're Not the Same, a podcast hosted, produced, and edited by Nathan Raymond Ray, with special guest Caleb Sarecki. To listen to more episodes, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Verbal, iHeartRadio, or Podbean. You can also visit our Facebook page or our website, bwntscast.wordpress.com. If you're interested in coming on the show as a guest, Feel free to reach out to us, and we'll see about having you on. Thank you for listening.